Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. We'll soon celebrate a newly expanded feast day. What used to be the Feast of St. Martha is now the Feast of Saints Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Find out more about this story featuring the raising of Lazarus from the dead and other miracle stories that reveal the identity of Jesus. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here again with our good bishop. Thank you, Bishop, for joining us. You're welcome, Kyle. How are you today? I'm doing well. Good. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is one of the the biblical miracle stories. And I was wondering, do you have a a favorite biblical miracle, other than the resurrection of Jesus, one that you wish that you could have been at or witnessed? That's a good question. I'd love to be at all of them. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I think... I would have loved to have been at the Transfiguration. Oh, okay. Although, are you thinking more of a miracle that Jesus performed for someone? Yeah, I would way. say, that's... I would say the raising of Lazarus. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Good. Maybe, maybe that's why you're just on your mind. You're, you're that's right. Thinking about but that I mean, one. raising someone from the dead—that's yeah. pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. I, but also, like, uh, you know, multiplication of food—it's pretty impressive. Walking on water is pretty cool. They're all great, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, yes, we are going to talk about the resurrection of Lazarus. Tomorrow is the first time of having an extra addition to our, our feast. So it's the feast of Saints Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this is the, the first time this has been kind of uh, expanded. Right. July 29th, we've been celebrating as the Memorial of Saint Martha. And Pope Francis decided to make this uh, new feast day of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, the two sisters and brother. And, you know, I'm really happy about that because I always was sad that we didn't have a feast for Mary of Bethany. Oh, okay. You know, Martha and Lazarus' sister. Uh And, you know, what a great figure she is. Now... One of the reasons is that for centuries, there was confusion, and there was an identification of three Marys and uh, as the same person. But uh, it's it's very unlikely. Scripture study shows that they're really three separate Marys, Um, Mary Magdalene, Uh Mary of Bethany, and then the unnamed woman in Luke chapter 7, who, remember, anointed Jesus's feet and and dried them with her hair, um, the sinful woman. So it's, I mean, we can get into the whole history of how that happened, but that identification of Mary Magdalene as uh, with the sinful woman and of Luke chapter seven and with uh, Mary of Bethany really probably began with uh, St. Gregory the Great when he Hmm. was doing some reflections and kind of stayed in the Roman liturgy, but it's interesting in the Eastern liturgies, in the Eastern church, they didn't identify. They never identified. If you read the Eastern fathers of the church, they never identified Mary Magdalene with Mary of Bethany or with the sinful woman in Luke 7. Okay. So I'm glad to see this uh, this separation. I mean, we, if you remember some years ago, Pope Francis elevated the memorial of, of St. Mary Magdalene to the level of a feast. And then concentrating on the real Mary Magdalene and not confusing her with Mary of Bethany. Uh So now we have this new feast 
tomorrow, July 29th, of Saints Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, which also, I think, brings clarity now to that whole issue. Which is funny because I don't, I don't think I hear of Saint Lazarus very often. No, like you I hear think, the story of Lazarus, but I don't hear him ever referred to as Saint Lazarus. Not in the Western Church, but in the Eastern Church, yes. Okay. Maybe now we'll hear it more in the Western Church now that we have that. Although we don't really know a lot about Lazarus, we have more about Martha and Mary. Uh-huh. Other than that he was their brother and right. was close to Jesus and that Jesus raised him from the dead. But as far as his life and that, we don't really know much. Okay. Well... In the decree from the Congregation for Divine Worship and the sacraments that announced this change, they said, In the household of Bethany, the Lord Jesus experienced the family, spirit, and friendship of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And for this reason, the Gospel of John states that he loved them. Martha generously offered him hospitality. Mary listened attentively to his words. And Lazarus promptly emerged from the tomb at the command of the one who humiliated death. Kind of interesting to hear their three different roles. Yes, and we, I think everyone's familiar with the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 10, when Jesus uh, visited them and, you know, Martha was burdened with serving and kind of complained about Mary left her to do all the, the work. Right. And uh, Mary was there at the uh, feet of Jesus and, and listening to him and our Lord said that Mary chose the better part. So that's uh, one of the Gospels that is an option for tomorrow's memorial. But they also give the option of the Gospel of John chapter 11, the, the account of the raising of Lazarus. So the priest can choose which of those two Gospels to have at tomorrow's Mass. I don't know if we've ever talked about the miracle of the raising of Lazarus, but that's uh, maybe we could talk about it now. Yeah. yeah. So this one, this gospel that you're choosing reflects more on Lazarus and his story. If people go to mass tomorrow, they might hear one that reflects more on Mary and Martha. But uh, what is it about this story that you like so much that you just said that this might be the, the miracle that you'd want to have been able to witness? Well, you know, the gospel really is about all three. Mm-hmm. Because you have the death of Lazarus and his being raised, but you have Jesus encountering Martha and then encountering Mary. So unlike the the other choice, you have all three siblings. I think it's interesting that when you read John's gospel, which is just unbelievably brilliant theology, hmm. there are seven signs or miracles that St. John recounts. So when you look at the other Gospels, there's more miracles. But what John does, St. John basically chose these seven and really went in depth. So there's so much theology in John's Gospel. And this raising of Lazarus is the seventh of the seven signs. Hmm. So if you look at the Gospel of John, after the prologue, which is basically chapter one, then you have the book of signs, which is chapter one, verse 19 to chapter 12, verse 50. Hmm. And it's basically a chapter per, I mean, a sign per chapter. Okay. The changing water into wine at Cana. That's the first. Okay. The feeding of the 5,000 in, in John chapter six, 
and then his walking on the water. You know, that's another one of the great signs. And then the next part of John's gospel, beginning with chapter 13, is what's called the book of glory or the book of exaltation. And that's the great farewell discourse of Jesus at the Last Supper, the washing of the feet, the passion, the resurrection. Hmm. And then chapter 21 is an epilogue. So it's good to look at the structure of John's gospel. But but here, we're looking at specifically the book of signs and that seventh great sign in chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. Is there something about the sequence of them? I, I'm Yeah, I think so. I mean, some of them... They're all connected okay. in a way. It's kind of like the unveiling of, mm-hmm. of the identity of Jesus. And notice at different times he uses these I am sayings. Like, you know, after the, the uh, multiplication of the loaves and the fish and he gives the great bread of life discourse, he says, I am the bread of life. Mm. And then in chapter 8, I am the good shepherd. Now in this chapter... 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. So you see the identity of Jesus unfold in the revelation. Now, John says near the end of his gospel that there are many other signs that Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in sure. the book. So John says, he basically, he said he, he wrote these, he says, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Hmm. So that was John's purpose. So it's a little bit of a highlight reel, but also like intentionally these were picked to show you how amazing this was and that this is a divine person, not just that. And I think, you know, you said, you know, this, this miracle, the raising of Lazarus is kind of the climax because it shows Jesus's power over death. Hmm. Now, Remember, this wasn't, uh, you know, Lazarus still would have to die later, but he was resuscitated, basically, in this miracle and called out of the tomb. Nevertheless, it is a great miracle, and uh, there's just so much in it. I don't know if you want to go through the gospel. I think that'd be good. And that line, I am the resurrection and life, I think is is interesting to me. Like that seems like a very bold and maybe a jarring statement. I think he had hinted at that earlier, kind of leading up to this yes. about I like on the third day and, and things like that. But it seems like a very bold statement that might've shocked people. But yeah, maybe maybe given a little of the background first leading up to that. Actually, the, the gospel tomorrow isn't the whole episode. Uh-huh. Um, the actual... Uh, episode begins with verse 1 of chapter 11, where it talks about how Lazarus was ill, Okay, that Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill. And they, they said to him, Master, the one you love is ill. Hmm. So it shows that you know Jesus was very close to Lazarus, as he was to Martha and Mary. At that point, Jesus says, this illness is not to end in death but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. I mean, he loved them so much, why didn't he go? I mean, that's the question. But he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God. So there's a larger purpose here, Mm -hmm. that Jesus didn't rush 
to help his sick friend. Hmm. He remained for two days. After the two days, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea, okay, because Bethany is in Judea. It's not far from Jerusalem. Okay. But he had left Jerusalem because his life was in danger. So this was going, this was Jesus and the disciples going back into uh, dangerous territory. Huh. And they even said, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you and you want to go back there. You know, so, mm -hmm. but he did, you know, just moving on a little bit, Jesus was on his way back and told the disciples, Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, I'm glad for you that I was not there, that you may believe. Let hmm. us go to him. And that's what happened. And Jesus arrived and found that Lazarus had been in the tomb already for four days. And then what the reading begins then tomorrow with verse 19 mm -hmm. of chapter 11. So I will read what the reading is tomorrow and then try to explain it. Okay. But that's the background. Yeah. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, no, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is asking for you. As soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. For Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out 
tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his feet was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now, and it continues with the uh, Pharisees and everything. I just want to mention the gospel tomorrow doesn't give that, that whole thing. Right. It actually ends with um, Martha saying, yes, Lord, I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. So the gospel tomorrow doesn't go and tell us the whole miracle. I just wanted to point that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So... There's a couple different things that we can talk about here. One is the disciples discouraging Jesus from from going there. Is that because of the danger? Yes, because if you read earlier, the earlier chapter, Jesus had left Jerusalem because his life was in danger. They were threatening to stone him. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the these I am statements. So this one is I am the resurrection. And so, the life. And the life. So he's saying that I can raise him from the dead because I am the resurrection. I'd, can you break that down a little bit? Well, Jesus is the resurrection because whoever believes in him, he says, even if he dies, will live. Uh, so Jesus has already promised to raise up on the last day those who believe in him. Mm-hmm. That's back in John chapter 6. And he even said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever, and I will raise him up on the last day. So he's the resurrection. He will raise us up. But he's also the life, because when you think about it, through baptism, Jesus gives us a new life, the living water of the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. So we participate in God's life, in communion with God, even now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life now. Mm-hmm. And in the future, I will raise him up on the last day. We can speak of this gift of eternal life as something present and also future Okay, because of the resurrection of the body. Yeah. That's one of the I am sayings that is so rich. Uh, and that's really gets to the core of our faith. I mean, when you that uh, we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that life has already begun in us through the, the grace of baptism. And then, of course, the grace of the Holy Eucharist. We continue to be nourished by God's grace. We continue to receive the new life of Christ. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of the story is the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus. And then there's a part of me that's like, well, didn't he love everybody? You know, like he, he is love, you know? Yeah. But there must have been something special about this family that people recognized. Yeah, I think so. Because when you think of, of you know, Jesus and his human nature, he had friends, uh-huh. you know, obviously Peter, James, and John, he mm-hmm. was very close to those three apostles, and John being the beloved disciple, so he had a, a particularly good friendship, right? Uh, close friendship with John, and then with his family. It's not saying that um, we love others less, but uh-huh. we certainly have more intimate relationships as well. The other thing you mentioned, it's not in tomorrow's gospel, but it's in your extended version if people read beyond in John 11. The fact that Jesus wept 
which I think is the shortest verse of the Bible. It is. Jesus yeah. wept. I can't imagine it's the only time he wept. I don't know if there's other recorded Well, moments. remember he wept over the sins of Jerusalem mm. when he looked out over the city. Okay. Uh, that's another time. And I'd say in the Garden of Gethsemane, right. it said he sweat blood and tears. Uh-huh. So those are the only other times I can think of that are, are recorded. But it does show, the again, that human right. emotion. You know, I want to point out something else that I always used to think that Martha got a bad rap because of the other gospel where <laughs> uh-huh. she was busy and she was kind of corrected. Yeah. But I, I think in honoring Martha, think about her faith in this story. Mm. Because after Jesus said, I am the resurrection of a li- and the life, Jesus asked her a question. He said, do you believe this? And I think her response is a beautiful response of faith. Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. Mm-hmm. We don't think of that when we think of Martha, do we? We think about her being busy and, right. and cooking and, and everything. But I think it's good for us to remember her faith mm-hmm. after her brother Lazarus died. So she had a great deal of faith in Jesus. Now, it wasn't fully mature yet. You know, she was growing in faith, but that was a pretty, pretty great profession. I mean, she professed him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, she didn't really understand when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, uh-huh. but, it, you know, she didn't fully understand it. Obviously, when she saw the miracle of Jesus raising her brother from the dead, that certainly deepened her faith. Yeah. Well, and I think we've talked about Mary and Martha in the past, but her erring on the side of serving Jesus over like being present isn't a sin right. necessarily. Like that she was doing something sinful or wrong. Like right. just, hey, there's a better thing for you to do, and that's to just be here with me. Yeah. And we're all like I mean, a lot of us could be like Martha. Yeah. I mean, we all can tend to be busy, sometimes neglect prayer neglect the time with the Lord and just get so wrapped up in our active lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why a lot of people are attracted to Martha because they can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, great reflection. Any other thoughts on this? I mean, there's, you know, he, Jesus tells other people to take away the stone and untie him, let him go. And it makes me think of the, yeah, the miracle of at the wedding of Cana, where he tells them to f- fill the jars and stuff like this kind of him giving orders might seem that way, but to me, it's more like he's allowing other people to participate in this yeah. and using he he could do anything himself, right? He doesn't right. need people to be part of a miracle, but he allows them to. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, just the way in the dialogue with Martha and then with Mary, and even with the disciples prior to that, I mean, he's leading them. He's he's guiding them. He's leading them deep, more deeply into the mystery of his life and of his mission. And especially this confrontation with death. I think, you know, we hear this gospel sometimes at funeral masses. It's one of the choices. It's a really good gospel because we all experience that terrible pain when someone we love dies. And Jesus experienced that. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that can help us when we're grieving, that Jesus is with us. Jesus grieved and wept over the death of his friend. So we can remember that, that Jesus is with us in that sad experience. Jesus entered into this solidarity, or God entered into this solidarity with humanity. He himself felt this grief and sorrow. So this gives us assurance. This gives mm-hmm. us comfort. And he came to confront this power of death. Now, of course, he didn't conquer death until his own resurrection from the dead, because that was true resurrection to a new glorified existence. Whereas the resurrection of Lazarus was really a resuscitation of a corpse. Mm. All right. Well, again, people can check out John chapter 11 for the for the full story, and maybe you'll get a little taste of it tomorrow, but maybe not. Might be more Mary and Martha story as we celebrate all three of them tomorrow, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Saint, funny to think about. Do you ever get a, a Saint Lazarus for a confirmation name? Yes. Really? Yeah. You know, San Lazaro is, uh, is common in Spanish. Okay. Or Hispanic Catholics uh, commonly call, you know, speak of San Lazaro, Saint Lazarus. But so, yeah, I don't get it a lot, confirmation names, but every now and then. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. We have listeners submitted questions about confirmation, Bishop's favorite secular holiday, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop who has offered to answer questions that you've submitted. Our first listener submitted question is, after receiving First Communion, is there a limited amount of time before you should receive the Sacrament of Confirmation? If someone is never confirmed, but still regularly attending Mass, can they be married in the church? Okay, there's a couple questions there. First of all, the traditional order of the three sacraments of initiation are baptism, then confirmation, then Holy Eucharist. However, as you know, probably in the last century since St. Pius X changed and lowered the age of First Communion, in most places we have confirmation now after First Communion. Mm -hmm. And in the Latin Church, in the Western Church, the idea is that one should be confirmed after the age of discretion, in other words, after the age of seven or seven or after, up until around 16 years of age. And that's what the U.S. bishops have called for as the age of confirmation. Mm-hmm. Here in our diocese, I do it in eighth grade. That's the general rule. And so they're usually 13 years old. But as far as is there a limited of time, amount of time, I think everyone should be confirmed by the time they're 16 Okay, at the latest. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 
what about someone not confirmed? Can they be married in the church? If And this happens sometimes that someone comes for marriage and would find out that they're not yet confirmed, then it's important that they, if at all possible, receive confirmation before their wedding. Okay. There might be a few situations where they have to go through the confirmation preparation, so maybe the confirmation will be a little bit after the wedding, within a couple months. But I would say, if at all possible, if someone hasn't been confirmed. You know, that's why I have these adult confirmations every year, both in Fort Wayne and South Bend, Mm -hmm. usually around Pentecost, sometime in June or end of May. And I'll often get a young adult who's uh-huh. going to get married and somehow miss confirmation. Right. You know, sometimes people move yep. uh, and then they missed when the confirmation was. Or sometimes people maybe didn't weren't practicing the faith, but then came back to practicing the faith. But since they hadn't been, they missed confirmation. Mm-hmm. So there are various reasons. But I would say, you know, just ask the priest if you're going to get married and you're not yet confirmed what you have to do to be prepared so you can get confirmed before the wet wedding or if not, shortly afterwards. What if a, a young person is really struggling with the faith? Would you encourage them to get confirmed even if they don't believe or maybe they're agnostic or you know, ha- just having issues with the church? What, what do you encourage maybe parents or parishes to either encourage or allow or... Well, I... They would have to desire the sacrament and have a basic faith. Okay. Yeah, if they're agnostic, that's they're not properly disposed uh-huh. to receive uh, the sacrament of confirmation. When I was a youth minister, we I was in charge of the confirmation program, and we had a girl that was coming to the confirmation classes, and she identified as atheist and had great questions, but it was very like. Um, almost debating everything that we brought up and stuff. And sometimes it was a little bit disruptive, but sometimes it just brought out good questions and things. And, but I didn't think it seemed like a good idea for her to be confirmed if she's, and her dad said, I don't, I'm not forcing her to be confirmed. I'm forcing her to go through the classes the same way I force her to go to math classes, even though she doesn't want to go to math classes. She goes to school, learns the things, and then it's up to her to decide what to do with that information. And I thought that was a that's good a decent yeah idea yeah I you know it's interesting I had a few years ago there was a uh, I for, I won't mention the parish but there was a similar situation and the the young person the adolescent uh, didn't believe and didn't want to be confirmed uh-huh. and uh, the parents were really heartbroken it's and and they did the same thing they mm-hmm. made this child go to classes but the person wasn't properly disposed to receive confirmation, so wasn't confirmed. Yeah. Well, a month or two ago, this is like now, three three years later, four years later, whatever it is, I was back at that parish doing confirmation, and this young person, now like 17 years old, came to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. In other words, had grown yeah. in his faith, and he petitioned and said, yeah, I wasn't believing, but he had grown. He had. So then the sacrament's going to be fruitful in that situation, you know. Would you say if you're not ready for confirmation, you're also shouldn't be receiving the Eucharist? Like if you have these issues or struggles or, you know, doubt? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the level of, I mean, 
I would say if someone doesn't believe, then they should not receive. Mm -hmm. If someone is struggling to believe, and then they can pray, Lord, help me to believe, mm -hmm. increase my faith. If they have that minimum of faith, they can receive, even if they have some doubts. All right, very good. Next question, Parker Zerboth from St. Joseph Parish in Garrett asks, has Bishop read or heard of the book, A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward by Ralph Martin, a seminary professor at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit? It was published on October 22nd, 2020. Does he have any reflections or comments on the book? And if not, I simply want to say thank you and God bless you, Bishop, on your continued work for the flock of Christ and specifically for your interview with OSV on your work regarding the USCCB's upcoming letter on the Eucharist. I am sharing this interview with others as much as I can to spring hope in all our hearts. Parker, thank you. That's very kind. You know, I have the book by, by Ralph Martin, A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. I have not read it yet. I have read some reviews of it. It's on my stack of books that I want to read. Is that um, stack falling over yet? It is. I, I just <laughs> Hitting don't the ceiling? get it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. But, um, but I do look forward to reading it. I heard that it's um, an important book, and I'm just anxious to see Ralph Martin's perspective. I know that he's quite critical. What I've read in reviews about the crisis and how it arose in the church, hmm. a crisis regarding or confusion on doctrine or on morality, and then he looks at how this happened, you know, maybe putting some blame in okay. certain places. So I, I'm, you know, I don't know, but I think what I heard though is the second part of the book is really like looking for a way forward. So I'm glad it's not just, you know, right. being a prophet of doom, but saying, <laughs> okay, this is, this is what's happened. Now we need to move forward. We need renewal. We need reform. So it'll be interesting to see his perspective. All right. Father Eric Bergner from St. Vincent's in Fort Wayne asks, do you have a favorite secular holiday? July 4th, New Year's, Thanksgiving, etc. And Father, why so? <laughs> Father Eric always asks these enjoyable questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, as he mentions those secular holidays, uh, I have so many warm memories of those holidays back home, you know, growing up. And I mean, I remember July 4th was always great. We would go down to my my mother's brother, my uncle, and his family in Maryland, and we'd always have these bushels of hard shell crabs and outside, and <laughs> yeah? and, and just go to it with the hammers, and that was how I remember Fourth of July. And then we'd stay and you know stay for the fireworks and uh -huh. see them over the Chesapeake Bay. It used to be beautiful, and then New Year's was always a big day for our family. A lot of cousins and relatives and friends would gather at, at our house, huh. uh, my family's house, and they'd have music and they dance, and it was a lot of fun. And then Thanksgiving uh -huh. was always uh, also wonderful family gatherings. So I would say, though, now it's a little harder because I'm so far away from family. So yeah. I usually don't see them in those holidays, although we were together on July 4th this year because I had a niece whose wedding was on July 5th. So it was nice. We were in Washington, D.C. Did you have any crab? No, no, but I did think of it. I did think of it. But that on, on the 4th, they were married on the 5th. On the 4th, I had Mass at St. Joseph's Church where they were married the next day. Uh, but on Sunday, the 4th, I had Mass at, on Capitol Hill. This is a parish on Capitol Hill, okay, uh, St. Joseph Parish. And then the rehearsal dinner was that evening. 
so I didn't stay up for the fireworks because uh-huh. I had driven the 10 hours from uh, from Fort Wayne to yeah. Washington. So I just went to bed yeah. after the rehearsal dinner. I was exhausted. Did the noise of the fireworks wake you up? Nope. I was, I was so tired. I just, yeah. And we were staying at a hotel in Alexandria, so Uh it wasn't, I I don't know that the fireworks were that loud from there. I have been to DC for the fireworks before though. I remember once I went, was at the Capitol and they had that great concert and saw the, uh, the fireworks on the mall above the Washington monument. So I remember doing that one year when I was at Mount St. Mary's. So I love all these feasts to Uh be honest. Yeah. Well, I'll tease next week. We, we had two questions from, from Father Eric. So next week, he asks your favorite liturgical feast. So we'll save that for Okay. Next well, I'm week. glad he's not asking about food like he used to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised not a follow-up. And what's your favorite <laughs> July 4th meal? All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future episode, send a text to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.